Well, good morning. It's good to see you today. I have a question, a very serious question that I want to ask. Now, not all of you are the person to ask this question in your family, but I've got to ask it anyway. And it's a very important question. The question is this. Have you put away your snowblower yet? It's a very serious question. Um, I, I have not put my snowblower away uh, yet, but something equally as, as um, potentially life-altering, um, last week, um, Benjamin took his plow off his truck. See, you see there? Oh, you know what that means, right? I mean, are you guys with me? I'm not, I'm not making this up. Okay, here in the Upper Peninsula, if you put your snowblower away, okay, if you want to test this, get it serviced, okay? Send it, take it to the shop, say, change the oil, make, make it ready for summer. I, I'm telling you, it's going to snow six inches at least, okay? It's just, it's just the way it is, Okay? We're, we're, we're starting this new series called The Storm. So I'm making a little bit of light, but yet I, I think it's, it's very true. And so I, it, it, this, this idea of the storm, I had to do some checking, and I wanted to, to really find out, you know, what's, what's the worst storm that we've ever had uh, here in Michigan? And so I, uh, I found that... Uh, that the storm was so severe that they actually named the storm. Uh, and and it, happened, it happened in 1913, so it wasn't recent. Um, but it was a storm that they call the White Hurricane. Have you, have you ever heard of it? Have you ever heard? I've heard people use the phrase, but I didn't know that it was actually attached to an actual storm. The storm lasted a total of four days, and 250 people lost their lives as a result of that storm. So this was a, a very significant storm. It was a blizzard with hurricane-force winds, so that meant the wind was sustained at least at a minimum of 74 miles an hour, and you think, there's no way... A couple summers ago, out here on Lake Michigan, there were winds of over 70 miles an hour. That was fairly recently. So we know that that does happen. Um, but if you're from around this area, you certainly have heard of the Standard Rock Lighthouse. And during that storm, that lighthouse was covered in 12 feet not inches, 12 feet of ice, not snow. It took a team of 12 men who had axes and steam lines. It took a week to free the lighthouse keepers. It was so bad that they, they decided that, that for the rest of the fall, they weren't even going to man the lighthouse. They just could not take the risk any longer that year. And that ultimately led to a mechanized system that, that even to this day is unmanned. But lighthouse keepers talk about how uh, out there on Standard Rock that when storms come out of the Northwest, 
that there are waves that reach in excess of 30 feet that crash on that lighthouse, sending spray 110 feet above the lake. That is a lot of power, a lot of water. Now, I want you to know that, that these waves, when they hit that lighthouse, they are so strong, lighthouse keepers say that they, it would knock um, cans off the shelves and it would literally knock plates off the tables as they were eating. Imagine that, the force of that kind of a storm. Uh, you, you wondered to yourself, why, why would they have built something like that? Why, why did they put that there? And, and if you're a fisherman and you live in this area, you know that that's just like the greatest place for catching lake trout uh, that's ever been created. But that's not why they built it there. There's a reason why. You see, back in 1835, a ship captain discovered that there's an underwater mountain that rises to within four feet of the surface of the lake. And it's not very far outside the regular shipping lanes on Lake Superior. And they needed to build a lighthouse that would warn ships to stay away from that shallow area. So they embarked on a journey. It took them five years and $300,000. I think it's interesting that they actually built a practice run on Lake Ontario to, to figure out for sure how they wanted to do it. it was, this was such a big feat. As I was studying, they took the, the entire thing and they put it together on the ground on shore first to make sure that they would actually be able to put it together there on, on the rock in, in Lake Superior. The stones that made up what's called the crib or the foundation, they were, they were individual stones that were set together. The weight of those individual stones ranged from 12 tons to 30 tons each. And so they were literally like, like pieces of a puzzle that were put together there on that rock ledge in Lake Superior in about 11 feet of water. And then from there, they added another 200 plus tons of rock and steel and iron to create that lighthouse the walls on the lower level of the lighthouse, and I think this is important because when I said that the, the waves that, that hit a, against that lighthouse you know, knocked plates off the table, you're thinking, well, that's, that sounds a little bit excessive. I want you to think of this. The, the lower level of that lighthouse, the, the walls were seven and a half feet thick. That's how thick they made the, the rock and the stone and the, and the concrete, seven and a half feet thick. So when that wave hit that, it would literally shake it when, it when those big waves would hit it. The foundation, the building of that crib was so spectacular that it is still considered one of the top 10 engineering feats in the U.S. today. The Bible talks about storms. The Bible talks about foundation. And today I want us to look at Matthew chapter 7, in Jesus' parable of the storms. 
We all learned this when we were kids in Sunday school. If you grew up in Sunday school, man, you sang, you sang the song and you learned this lesson. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Today, what I would like us to do is to look at three different things that the Bible teaches us, that Jesus teaches us about storms. And the first one is very important, and that is this, that storms are inevitable. There is nothing that you can do. In fact, I would dare say there's no amount of money, there's no amount of success, there's, there's no possessions that you could ever own that would keep you from experiencing storms in this life. Now, here in the, in the UP, okay, we don't like the idea of hurricanes. Are you with me? You know how I know this? People, people talk about this. They say this, okay? You'll, you'll be talking about the weather, and someone will say, and I've heard this many times, at least it's not a hurricane. Right? We don't even get tornado warnings, really, very often here in the UP. It's just not something that happens. The lake actually probably sort of insulates us from things like that. But I, 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 I'm amazed when we watch the news and, and Texas will get two inches of snow and it'll fall below freezing for a few days and it shuts them down for two weeks. And you and I, when it gets to St. Patrick's Day, we just automatically expect two feet of snow. Right? The St. Patrick's Day storm. This year, we didn't get any. But we automatically have come to, in fact, I think we think it's safer if we expect it. Because if it doesn't happen, we'll be happy. If it happens, we can say, well, we told you it was going to happen. You should have been ready for it. You can't, you can't take your snowblower out of, out of commission and, and put it away before St. Patrick's Day. That would be foolish. Why? Because so many times we can look at the calendar. Ah, yep, St. Patrick's Day storm, there it was. It just happens. You see, it's better for us to deal with what we know. We're more comfortable in dealing with what we know than to have to risk dealing with something that we don't know, i.e. a hurricane. You see, we, 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 we're actually comfortable with the fact that we get what we get. Snow. And the rest of the world says, I don't know how you live there. You've all heard it. You've all, you've all had people tell you, I don't know how you handle it. I'll tell you how. We don't have hurricanes. It's easy. 
We we don't really have wildfires. We don't have tornadoes. We just get the white stuff, which you all like until Christmas anyway. Well, we learn how to deal with it, right? Jesus tells a parable of two men that build houses. And I want you to look at something. You see, the men are, one is foolish, one is wise. But it says that the, the rain, it says that the, the rising stream, that's floodwaters, and the winds beat against those houses, and it says it exactly the same way. So what we can surmise from this is that whether wise or foolish, we will experience the same storms. Now, I know that there are people that are actually counting on being good so that they don't get the storms. But I want you to know there's no amount of good that you can be or no amount of good that you can do that is going to keep you from going through a storm, you will go through a storm. And on the other hand, there's no amount of evil, okay, even the most evil person in the world, they're going to go through storms, and they're going to go through good times. It doesn't, it doesn't change that fact. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, or verse 45 in chapter 5, it says, He, meaning God, causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So whether we're wise, whether we're foolish, we're going to face storms. Good people cannot avoid storms by being good, and evil people don't get more storms just because they're evil. Now, there's consequences for our actions, yes, But God treats both the same. Those storms will come. Did you know that being in a storm doesn't mean that God is mad at you? How many times have we gone through storms and we're saying to ourselves, what have I done? We do it. Here's another thought. Just because the, the skies are sunny where you live doesn't mean God's happy with you. That's, that's worth the price of admission right there. That is truth, friends. That is true. Jesus said this in John 16, In this world, you will have trouble. We're going to go through storms. I don't know what your storm may look like. But we're going to go through storms. It's simply a fact of life. I'll, let me prove it. I think, I think the greatest compliment that the Bible ever hands out is to David. It says he was a man after God's own heart. But let me read from Psalm 59, okay? And I want to read, and the background for these verses is that King Saul has placed men around David's house to look for an opportunity to kill him. And here's what David writes in verses 3 and 4. See how they lie in wait for me. Fierce men conspire against me for no offense or sin of mine, Lord. I have done no wrong, yet They are ready to attack me. Arise to help me. Look on my plight. Friends, the fact is, storms will come. 
but the results may vary. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, let's talk about it. I, I enjoy commercials. I'm one of those weird people that the Super Bowl to me is really about commercials, unless my team's in the game. But there's a commercial that, that has been on for a while, <clears throat> and um, there's two former pro football players, Jerry Rice and Brett Favre, and uh, I'm going to make up a fictitious name for the company, okay, that they're doing this for. We'll call it Johnny Copper, okay? And, and so let's say that that's the name of the company that they're doing the ad for, and they're playing a pickup game of football with some guys in a neighborhood, and they're showing how the effects of the products from Johnny Copper are making these two old guys play young again because they're not experiencing any pain. And, and they advertise that, that these, the, the, this, this fabric, okay, into this fabric is woven 50-some percent copper, okay? And that this copper that's infused into this, into this fabric is going to take all of your pain away. The problem is that one of these companies had to pay $1.35 million to the World Trade Council because of false claims in their advertising. Why? Because studies show that copper doesn't actually alleviate pain. But yet, that's what they say. That's why you have to have a disclaimer. Do you know what a disclaimer is? Let me give you an example of a disclaimer. <clears throat> I'll try to get in the right voice. Individual results may vary. Testimonials are not claimed to represent typical results. All testimonials are from real patients and may not reflect the typical patient's experience and are not intended to represent or guarantee that anyone will achieve the same or similar results. That's a disclaimer. What are they really saying? This don't work. That's, what, that's sort of what a disclaimer says. Don't count on it working the way we've shown you that it works. That's what a disclaimer really is. In Jesus' parable, the same rain, the same floods, the same wind, but different results. Now that raises an interesting question. Because if I'm reading this, I'm going to say to myself, wait a second, if it's the same elements, the same storm, how do I ensure that I have different results, better results? Don't, wouldn't, wouldn't we all want to have better results? If you're going through a storm and you have a choice between good results and bad results, I think we would take good results every single time. So why? What made the difference? And Jesus said the difference is the one who puts my words into practice. That's the wise man. His house is going to stand. The one who does not put my words into practice, that's the foolish man. He, he's like building your house on the ground, and it is going to collapse. James, the brother of Jesus, in chapter 1, verse 22 of his letter, he said, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. 
And that word, word, is the word logos, which also is the same word that we use when we talk about Jesus as the word. He's the logos. Listen to what Jesus says. Put his words into practice. Jesus was specifically referring to things that he said in the Sermon on the Mount. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, you have heard it was said, don't commit murder. He's talking about the Old Testament. Jesus said, but I tell you, if you even call your brother a fool in anger, you are guilty of murder. Jesus said, you've heard in the Old Testament, in the law, don't commit adultery. But I'm telling you, if you look on someone with lust in your heart, that you have already committed the sin of adultery. Jesus said, you've heard in the law, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Jesus said, I'm telling you, turn the other cheek. This was the, 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 the gospel of the kingdom that Jesus was bringing. And he was telling them that you need to listen to my words and you need to follow them. You need to implement them in your life. In other words, for best results during the time of storm, you need to build on what I'm telling you. If you want your house to stand, if you don't want to have to give a disclaimer, Build on my words. Psalm chapter 119 and verse 14, the psalmist says, you are my refuge and my shield. I have put my hope in your word. If you want to survive the storm successfully, we've got to put hope on what Jesus said. Plain and simple, that is what we need to do. And number three, I want you to realize that foundation means everything. There's two types of people in this parable. There's the wise and the foolish. The wise, they hear Jesus' words and they obey those words. I like the way Luke talks about it, the way he records it, excuse me, in Luke chapter 6, beginning at verse 47. He says, as for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. The Greek here is a a really interesting, it's repetitive. And it means to excavate. That's a beautiful word. Have you ever watched someone use an excavator? They, they skillfully can dig a hole that is just unbelievable in a very short amount of time. But he doesn't stop with the word excavate. He says excavate, and then when you're done excavating, dig down deep. So excavate it, and then keep digging down even deeper. Now the foolish person is the person who hears the words of Jesus and doesn't obey. Verse 49 in Luke chapter 6, he says this, but the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who builds a house on the ground without a foundation. Here in the UP, you would never build a home without a foundation. 
But yet, you can go to a, a, another part of the country. They're, they're, they're literally throwing down a couple of rocks in the corners and building their house. I mean, you pull up the floorboards, and they're, they're, there's nothing under there but ground. Here in the UP, we, we just don't do it that way. Why? Because of the weather. Because of the environment that we live in, we know that we have to have a foundation. In Jesus' story, you have one man who builds and he connects to the foundation and the other one, he just puts it on the, on the ground, on the dirt, and hopes for the best, not thinking about the storms that are going to come. But in his story, Jesus is referring to his word and himself as the foundation, that we need to excavate down and then dig down deeper to connect with that foundation. The problem is that foundations take time. You know, when, when, when we make a decision, okay, I'm going to build a house, what do we want to do? We want it to go up, right? The house goes up. That's what a house does. It goes up. The problem is to start a house, what do you have to do? You have to go down, that's the first thing that we do in building a house. If you want it to go up, you have to start with it going down. And we don't, we don't like that because it takes time. It takes time and effort to dig a foundation, excuse me. And so when we look at this, we're addicted to fast answers. And to properly dig a foundation is not a quick process. But we want things to happen very quickly. Isaiah talks about this foundation, and he says that this foundation is a tested stone, a precious cornerstone. It's not just any stone. It's the first stone that you pick when you build a foundation. And it's the right angle. It's the right size. It's flat. It's perfect. Everything else fits together with it. It's the main stone. It's a precious cornerstone. It's a sure foundation. And when we rely on the foundation that comes from a life built on Jesus Christ, we will not be panic-stricken when we go through the storms. And as we've already determined, we will go through storms. I did a little research this week and looked at some of the tallest buildings that have ever been built in our country. And of course, most of those are in New York City. Some of those buildings stretch as high as 1,700 feet. That's a tall building. Do you know what they did before they built that building? They put in a foundation, 70 feet of concrete. And when they, before they put the concrete in, they dug down 70 feet. Do you know why they picked 70 feet? because 70 feet is where the bedrock started. And so they went down to 70 feet, and then they, they started tapping into the bedrock. They, I'm sure they drilled deep holes, small holes, and they put huge pieces of rebar into that, that, that bedrock foundation. And then they started pouring the 70 feet of, con of concrete on top of that. And to that, that was their foundation on which they built those buildings. And some of those buildings 
when the wind blows, they will actually sway up to 12 inches in one direction. Just think about that, 12 inches. We almost fall over swaying 12 inches, okay? But we're not attached to the floor. It's the attachment to the bedrock. It's the attachment to the foundation that keeps that building safe. Now, some of you are never going to go in a towel building again. You're going to say, listen, I'll stay in Marquette. We got three stories, maybe four, and that's as much as I, I really need. We, have a, we need a connection to the bedrock. Pastor Charles Stanley said something that I really like. Let me read it for you. He's a pastor that some of you have heard of. He said this, there is only one secure foundation, a genuine deep relationship with Jesus Christ, which will carry you through any and all turmoil. No matter what storms are raging all around, you'll stand firm if you stand on his love. And I would only add one thing to that on his word. You've got to be connected to the bedrock. You've got to build your life on the foundation that is Jesus Christ. Some of you feel like you've been in a storm. Some of you feel like those lighthouse keepers on Standard Rock. Your storm is so big that it would take a crew of 12 a week to chip away all of the ice from that storm and get you out. You feel that isolated. You feel the storm is that big. But I want you to know today that you can build on a foundation that will get you through the storm. Now, in construction, the day to start the foundation isn't the day you're having the storm, okay? But sometimes in life, we find it's in the middle of the storm and, and, and we now realize the condition of our foundation and it's time to drill down. It's time to dig deep. It's time to excavate and then go deeper and tap into the bedrock to start drilling some holes and putting some rebar down and creating some anchors to keep us secure in Jesus. I don't know what the storm is like that you've been going through, but even if you feel that your foundation has not been secure, today can be a day when you begin to build that foundation deep in Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads with me? I'd like to pray with you. Father, I thank you for the opportunity that we have to look into your word. And whether someone is here in the sanctuary with us or a part of our church online family, Father, I pray that you would help us to tap into that foundation of Jesus Christ. Father, I want to pray for the one that's been going through significant storms in their life. The wind has been blowing. Maybe the ice has begun to build up around the tower that is their life, and they are beginning to feel like they're not going to survive. 
I pray, Father, that you would speak to their heart, that you would encourage them today that they will survive if they tap into that foundation that is Jesus Christ. This morning, if you're going through a storm, I want to encourage you. I want to pray for you. And I'm just going to ask that while heads are bowed and that eyes are, while eyes are closed to just respond with an upraised hand to indicate to me and to the Lord, you know what, I'm going through a storm and I want to make sure that my foundation is connected to the rock that is Jesus Christ. If that's you, yep, slip your hand up. Yes, yes. Anybody else? Yes. Thank you. You can put those down. Father, we realize that that's, it's a little more difficult to work on the foundation during the storm, but sometimes that's just what we've got to do. And Father, I pray for these that have acknowledged that they are going through a time of storm. And I pray that you would tether them to the rock. As I read this week about the lighthouse keepers, when the winds would come up high and they would have to go outside the lighthouse and, and do some work, they would literally tether themselves to the lighthouse so that the wind and the waves would not sweep them over into the lake. Father, tether us. Tether us to the foundation of Jesus Christ with cords that cannot be broken. And we acknowledge that, that, that maybe there's some weakness in our foundation and the storm is a time when it's very difficult. But yet, God, we ask you to tether us to your son, Jesus. Tether us to that foundation that cannot move. And Father, I believe that when the storm is over and has passed, that we will emerge on the other side and that we will survive that storm. Father, I pray today for these that have acknowledged that they're going through a time of, of storm. Keep them safe in your arms today. Connect them to the foundation that is the bedrock of Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. I want to thank you for coming today. And if there's a storm that you're going through that you would say, you know, I could use someone to pray with me. I would love to be able to do that. I would just encourage you to contact me either personally, if you know my contact information. Otherwise, you can do it through our website, silvercreekchurch.org slash prayer. And let us know that you would like someone to pray with you, and we will reach out. We will pray with you. God bless you. Thank you for being here. And I believe that God is going to bring you through that storm by keeping you connected to the bedrock of Jesus Christ. Have a great day.